How's it going? Today might reach 50. God is good. How many of you ready for winter to be over? It really hadn't been that bad of a winter, but how many of you ready for it to be over? How many are ready to just kind of just, just be snowed in and just love every minute of it? There's a few of you, all right, that's good. We got anger going on here today. That is, that's what church is all about, anger, all right. Unfortunately, there, there are a number of people who do think that church is all about anger, so uh, let's prove them wrong and let's see what God does, so, all right. Well, hey, we are, um, we are uh, kind of wrapping up our series uh, today on who am I imitating? And uh, just before we, before we jump into that, though, just want to say uh, thank you for those of you who signed up already to be a part of uh, our Taste of Missions, and can't wait to have more of you. We have room for about maybe 10 more uh, to, uh, to sign up, and don't think, just because there's a lot of people here and a lot of people in second service, don't think, oh, somebody else is going to do it. Pretend there's nobody else other than you that can do what only you can do, okay? And make sure you head out there today and sign up. And as uh, Pastor Eric said, it could be Southern cooking. That's awesome. It could be like game day and you just make popcorn and pizza, whatever that is, just something to share with everybody uh, there and you'll get all the details back there. It's a fantastic night. You saw from all the video and the photos there. It's really a great night, one of the highlights of the year for us. And I cannot stress enough... Uh, again, uh, youth camp is, is coming up, so parents, get ready. Uh, you know it's going to cost money, right? So start now planning ahead and budgeting and all of those things you need to do to make sure that your kids get to camp, all right? And let's see God do some incredible things in the lives of our students. I can't wait to hear the stories. Can't wait to uh, hear what God does in the lives of every one of the students. So who am I imitating? Who am I imitating? Uh, we have a lot of options that we, can, uh, that we can do to imitate. And I got to thinking, um, got to thinking about this uh, when it comes to who do we imitate, uh, that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. You've heard that phrase before. I don't think I'm the first person uh, to say that. Um, so throughout this series uh, the letter, of the letters to the, uh, the letter to the Philippians, um, we've been challenged a couple of different ways to find out who we are imitating. And uh, we usually imitate someone, maybe a famous person. We imitate a loved one. Uh, we, we imitate an admired person. But can we take it too far? Can we imitate our pets? I've got a few pictures here. I love this one because this is a picture unaware. They caught this person unaware. Just like their pet. I love that. Next one. Yes. <laughs> Imitation, the sincerest form of flattery. Got this one. This is very close to my home right here. This is beautiful right there. Thought about wearing the collar. It'd just be really nice. And this last one's super cute too. I really like this one. So, oh, that is so cute. Ah, we copy that which we find value in, don't we? We copy that or we imitate that which we find value in. Uh, growing up in my early formative years of discovering what the call of God meant on my life, um, and you know, I was eight, 17 years old when I, when I felt like that this was going to be a new direction in my life, and I was still struggling with it. I wanted to do biochemistry and sciences. That's what I wanted to do, and God had other plans for my life. And so um, 
took some steps towards fulfilling that call in my life, and I was down in Phoenix, Arizona uh, for about a year down there at a program called Master's Commission. And during that year at a very, very large church, church of about 10 or 12,000 people at the time in the late 80s, and uh, got, there were a number of guest speakers that would come through. And as a young, impressionable uh, kid, I was 18 at the time, uh, I would find people to imitate. And very early on, there was this guy by the name of Rich Wilkerson. And uh, those of you who've been around the church for a long time would recognize that name. And uh, Rich Wilkerson just caught my attention as a young 18-year-old kid. And so what I did the first time I tried to preach, who did I try to imitate? Rich Wilkerson. And if you don't know him, he's a very, very unique uh, presenter of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the way he tells stories and his mannerisms, he's like, you know, just kind of like this, and it's exciting, and you know, all that. So I tried to do that, and how many of you know what happened when I tried to do that? Failed miserably. And uh, he tells this one story, which I've always found great, and I don't even know the whole thing and how he got there, but he tells the story of um, he was ironing his shirt one day, and one of his young kids, uh, Richie, uh, came up to him and said, Dad, why are you ironing the shirt? And you know, he was going on about how, well, he needed to look nice for this thing that was going on. And, and so then he's like, well, why? Because kids ask why. I mean, you have kids that always ask why, and so why, and why, and why. Well, pretty soon it gets to the end of the story that the reason why Rich Wilkerson is uh, ironing his shirt is because Satan hates Jesus. That's basically the bottom line. And so I stole that, and I used that, I don't know how many times, about ironing and Satan hates Jesus, and I realized, hey, this isn't my story. <laughs> I can't tell the story as if it's my own, right? But it's not me, and I had to fumble my way to figure out who I needed to imitate in my life. Because imitation is more than just copying. It's more than just uh, doing exactly as another does. Uh, there's a deeper aspect to this, um, and we see this in Paul. At the very beginning, we talked in the first week of this, we talked about suffering. And the imitation that we should have of Paul in suffering really is because Paul is looking at Jesus Christ himself. There's something deeper. There's a, there's a root in Paul's understanding of, of, uh, that we should follow after him and suffering and how do we deal with this in difficult circumstances. It's because there's a relationship with Jesus Christ that is absolutely the foundation of it. Then we moved on and we, uh, we spent a little bit of time uh, talking about having the same attitude as that of Jesus. And how many of you have a bad attitude? Woo, nobody anymore. That's great. I'm excited about that. And so we talked about having the same attitude as Christ. And so there's something undergirding that. There's, there's a belief. There's something deep within us. It's not just copying, not just throwing on a fake smile, right? Because have, have you ever thrown on a fake smile before? Things are going bad. We are guilty of lying in church all the time, by the way, people. Because what happens, you have just had a terrible fight with your wife on the way here. Uh, something happened with your children during the week. I mean, you lost your job, all those things. And you come walking in and somebody goes, hey, brother, how's it going? You go, oh, it's fantastic. I love the Lord with all of my heart. <laughs> and inside you're going, I don't know if I believe this thing anymore, right? Okay. And so we've got to be very careful that our attitude is not just copying and just throwing on that fake smile. Um, and then uh, last week, Pastor Marco uh, showed us the imitation of relationship and the, that value there. And so thank you, Pastor Marco, uh, for, uh, for filling the pulpit last week when I was over in Tooele, uh, hanging out with our congregation uh, out there in Tooele. And talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus and this great picture of lives committed to the purpose of the gospel worthy of our imitation and that friendship and that life uh, that's celebrated together. And so today as we wrap up, uh, um, we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. 
Philippians chapter 4. And um, with this ending here, uh, you will recognize that we skipped over a lot of incredible things in the book of Philippians. I mean, it is filled, uh, chock full of so many things. And we just wanted to kind of hit some of the highlights here in the month of February as we turn the page to missions uh, this next month. And folks, you realize this Easter is right around the corner. I mean, we are like six and a half weeks or six weeks or so uh, from Easter, six or seven weeks. So make sure you get ready for that. We'll have invitations here pretty soon, and you can start inviting uh, your friends to that. And by the way, with all of this process, um, I, I just want to uh, uh, just share real briefly uh, life groups. In the middle of all of this, uh, my, my wife and I are part of a life group, and we have found such joy in that group of, of digging a little bit deeper. Now, I mean, the message every Wednesday is fantastic and life-changing and all of that, yeah, whatever. And, uh, but what happens is when you walk out of here, most of you forget like 90% of what has been said. I know that, and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm over it, all right? So most of you forget that. But what happens is when you go to life group, you have a chance to sit down with your peers. You have a chance to sit down with people who are older than you in the faith. You have an opportunity for those who are younger than you in the faith to sit down together. You go through the message of, you know, kind of highlights of, um, highlights of the weekend, and how does God put this into action into my own life? And I got to tell you, I've been challenged by our life group. Uh, they have real jobs. I'm a pastor, right? They have real jobs where they are out in the field and talking about uh, how does faith look in the workplace? How does faith look as a manager? How does faith look as a stay-at-home mom? All of these things there, and we talk together and wrestle with what does faith look like? And I got to tell you, so be a part of a life group. I really believe that this is where God wants us to grow best uh, because we're face-to-face. You're not looking at the back of somebody's head. You're not hearing somebody uh, yell at you from a, uh, from a platform. Uh, you have an opportunity to put it into action through life groups. So make sure you go online, sign up for life groups. Shameless plug uh, right there. All right. So Paul's writing from prison, helping the church discover some new purpose in their own expression of Jesus through the giving of themselves, through suffering, through having the right attitude, uh, through having that, that great friendship that we know we need to have. But we're going to start with this, uh, with this thought. So Paul's circumstances and, the, and where he's uh, writing here in, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, I believe what we are getting is this kind of pulled back moment where Paul is, is basically saying, hey, can I tell you what I'm learning? Can I tell you what God has been doing directly in my life in the middle of, of writing this letter, in the middle of hearing the story of what God's doing in the church at Philippi when Epaphroditus came and said, hey, Paul, you got to hear what's going on in this church. And so Paul's spiritual growth is being revealed. In chapter 3, he's showing that this journey is tough. It's filled with uh, starts and stops. If you found that to be true in your own spiritual journey, that sometimes you go really well and other times you feel like you have just become stagnant in it. And Paul is dealing with this in chapter 3 uh, as well. He hasn't arrived there yet. He doesn't have it all figured out. And that can be frustrating as a leader. But what Paul does is he kind of pulls back this, this, this moment here in Philippians chapter 4 and says, listen to what God is doing in my own life. Listen to how God is using your testimony, church at Philippi, to change me. Look at how, how God is using this to, to uh, maybe bring some new principles even into your own life because this is what God is revealing to me. And uh, so he kind of says, here you go, church, this is what I'm learning. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. 
Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Now, this one, which is very much a challenge for, uh, for some of us, don't worry about anything. Don't worry. About, how many of you worried something this week? <laughs> worried about something this week? All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, this reminds me of Jesus, uh, right, in the Gospels. He's saying, don't be anxious about anything. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry. God's got this. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence or if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. And he says this, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. So I believe that Paul is, is having this transparent moment here with the church, saying, guys, it's been tough. This has been difficult for me, but here's what I've learned. I've learned to rejoice, and I'm going to tell myself again to rejoice. Have you ever had to be your own pep talk? <laughs> You've got this, Rich. You can do this. You can make this. Come on. One more mile. By the way, real quick, uh, just a moment of transparency for you. I was supposed to run 24 miles on Friday. I made it 14, thought I was going to die. <laughs> so anyway, all right, that's great. That's good news. Um, so he says, basically, I've learned, I've learned while in jail, I can't worry, I can't be anxious. God's got this. This is what Paul is saying to the church. In that tough place of despair, I'm giving God my best. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it measures up, but I am still giving my best in the middle of it. He's saying, basically, the peace of God has overflowed. You can't stop it. I got beaten. But a smile was on my face. I got verbally accosted, but it doesn't touch me. I am guarded, but this is what I've chosen to focus on. Jesus is with me. My heart and my mind, God has got this, right? This is what Paul is saying to that church. And in fact, because he realizes that God's got this and his heart is guarded and all of those things, here's what he has found because his mind now can be stayed upon the good things, the things that are praiseworthy the things that show love, the things that are excellent, the things of, of, of morality. These are the things that Paul's mind is stayed on, and this keeps him steady. Some of you need to experience that, that steadiness that comes from somebody who's presented all of their requests to God, whose heart is absolutely guarded by the presence of Christ, and then all of a sudden your mind is able to then focus on the good things of God. And I think that's something for us today where we're looking at it, we're going, God, I'm so anxious. I'm so anxious about this. And you can name any number of things. I'm anxious about X, Y, Z. I'm anxious about it. What does God say to do? Present it to him, lay it at his feet, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. And all of a sudden, we can begin thinking those good thoughts, begin thinking those things that are excellent and noble and, and worthy of praise. That's why that is so important in our lives. So then Paul takes a turn here, and, and he starts talking about thankfulness. How many of you are thankful for something? Right, now, now, there's this whole journal, uh, this, this whole movement out there, the, the gratitude movement, 
that talks about the, the mental health that is brought about by every single day finding something to be thankful for. People have thankful journals, and they just write down three things every single day that they are grateful for. And I want to encourage you to do that. It's a fantastic practice to be able to do and say, God, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for this. And this is what Paul is practicing in this moment. And uh, you see, the church had provided for Paul in some financial ways over a period of time, and Paul is very grateful. And now we discover for the very first time something very interesting that happens. Paul, because up to this point, Paul has been basically saying, hey, imitate me, imitate Jesus, take a look at what's going on here. Now what does Paul do? Paul turns this a little bit, and he says, hey, Philippi, you are worthy of imitation yourselves. And he points out this one area of imitation that we should, um, we should emulate in our own lives. So letters like this back in, uh, back in the New Testament times would probably be written, and then they would be shared with other churches. Uh, parchment paper, uh, I mean, all of that was very, very valuable. It wasn't necessarily around. We, they didn't have all the things that we have and the cheapness and all that. So it would be written, and then they would treasure and cherish those documents. They would share them with other churches. They would copy them, share them to other churches, and say, look at what Paul is speaking to us. Perhaps something in here is going to be good for you as well. And so Paul is writing this knowing full well that it's likely that this story of the Philippi church will be told to other churches, and Paul is saying, Philippi church, you are worthy of being imitated. And so he tells this incredible story. Philippians chapter 4 says this, says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me but lacked the opportunity to show it. Paul says, I don't say this out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. Quick aside. This is powerful, folks. If you can do without, I believe God says you can do with. There are times when we feel like, though, that God's blessing is so tied to the things that we have that if we don't have, then all of a sudden somehow God's not with us. That is absolutely positively not the case. Your value is not in your possessions. Your value is, 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 has nothing to do with how much God loves you or doesn't love you at all. And so Paul, in the middle of this, reveals this incredible secret. It doesn't matter what I have around me. It doesn't matter the things that I have. I have learned to be content. There's a secret to that contentedness, and that's found only in the presence of God. So he says, I, um, for I've uh, learned to be content in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how, uh, both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstance, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, I probably will never be an NBA uh, star. I think, I think that ship has passed for my life. So can I do all things through Christ who strengthens me? But I want to be an NBA star. 
that's everything I've always, right? So we have to be careful how we apply this scripture verse, okay? I'm just giving you some, some wisdom here on how we apply that scripture verse. Um, so I'm never going to be an NBA all-star. That's just not going to happen in my life. And I'm okay with that. I've come to grips with that. And I, I cry myself to sleep every night knowing that that is not a reality in my life. But whether I am well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or need, I've learned the secret that through Christ, I'm able to do all things because he strengthens me. He strengthens me to recognize when wisdom would say, uh, no, <laughs> this isn't in your future. It's kind of like uh, American Idol. You guys watch American Idol from time to time, maybe? Um, and you've got the kid that walks up there and says, my mom thinks I sing great. And this is my dream. <laughs> it's never a good sign when only your mom thinks you sing well. So uh, just giving you a little insight there. Then he goes on, he says this, still you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. So they, the, the Philippian church recognized that Paul was in a difficult circumstance. And you Philippians know that in, uh, in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your accounts. But I've received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I'm fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So here we go as we wrap up here. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back, uh, back up here. Um, three very quick things for us uh, today. Number one, the, kind of the key for the Philippians that Paul wanted to kind of celebrate and, uh, and, and give this idea that this is a good thing to imitate. Number one, Philippi the Philippians, uh, the church, looked for ways to be generous. They looked for ways to be generous. Paul says that they were longing to be generous. They're, they're trying to figure out how they can pour out blessing in Paul's life. They knew there was a need, and so they're looking for ways to provide for it. How many of you have Venmo? You know what that is? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Apple Pay, all right, any of those things. I'm trying to think. Cash, there's one called cash. Okay, for us, here's how we give. You know, you pull out your phone, and this is how easy it is for us to give to a need. Back in the time of the New Testament, how easy was it for them to give to Paul? They didn't even know where he was most of the time. They had no idea. He's traveling through Asia Minor. He's all over the Mediterranean, uh, Mediterranean Sea. I mean, he's all over the place. And they're like, we're looking for a way to bless you, Paul. We can't wait to find out where you are next. Because as soon as we find out, we're sending a gift to you. Because we know that God wants us to do this. We want to be generous. We want to be generous. So they're looking for ways be generous. They're actively thinking through how can we plan in advance so that we can be generous so that the kingdom of God can be expanded. So they look for a way to be generous. The second thing is, is the Philippians gave willingly. The Philippian church gave willingly. No other church was participating, uh, Paul said. Right? Even in Thessalonica, he's there with other churches, and they aren't participating the same way that the church of Philippi was, because they were willingly giving themselves 
and saying we want to be generous to what God is doing. So you don't typically give to someone that you know will just burn through the cash. How many of you are hesitant to give to your own children? No, don't, don't answer that. Um, uh, back a while ago, ah, I'm running out of time. Uh, back a while ago, I was at Wendy's. This is back a number, a number of months ago. And a couple of, couple of guys walked in who are obviously homeless. And there's a side of me that, that has a compassionate part of me. And, and I, was, I had my wallet out, and I rarely carry cash with me, and I figured they didn't do Venmo. And so I, was, uh, I, I had the cash with me. Uh, maybe they do. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and so I was getting ready to give to them. And they, they sat down pretty much next to me. And, uh, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to walk over there and give it to them. They sat down. And they, they, they began to pull out from every pocket they had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And they began telling each other and bragging to one another what they were going to be doing with this money that they found. I got to tell you, the tithe was not part of that. <laughs> but talking about the women that they will find, the alcohol that they will consume, uh, and what they're going to be doing with that. I put, put the money back in, uh, back in my wallet and held on to that. Um, and I know not everybody, that, that's not everybody's story uh, for when it comes to those who are on the street and homeless. There are many, many, many folks who are there through no choice of their own that absolutely are in a desperate situation that we need to support. We have Isaiah calling. We go out uh, every other week and we head out, uh, head out to downtown and uh, work with some of the homeless folk in our area providing for them. And so there's a very real need that's out there. But for these two gentlemen in particular is all I'm speaking about. Uh, I knew that my money was going to be wasted on that. And I said, Lord, I'm going to sow elsewhere <laughs> into better, better soil. And so this willingness to give um, flows from a belief in the one that's receiving. And so I have, what I have found to be true over and over and over again is that Life Church is a great place to sow seed. <laughs> what I have found is that the, that the kingdom of God is an incredible place to sow seed. And this is what the church of Philippi understood that Paul was worth investing in. Paul and the ministry that he had, they believed in it. They saw it. They saw the fruit. They themselves were the fruit of, of uh, what God was doing. And it was worth it to them to willingly give an offering to Paul. And they didn't just give any kind of offering. Listen to what it says. Philippians, uh, this last point here. Philippians gave abundantly. What does Paul say about his new reality? He says, I have an abundance. Some verses say, I have an overflow. All because the Philippian church gave willingly, gave abundantly, and looked for opportunities to give. And because of this Philippian gift, guards were coming to Jesus Christ. Because of this Philippian gift, the household of Caesar was hearing the message of Jesus Christ. And because of the Philippian gift, Paul himself was refreshed. And I believe that that gift that, that made its way to Paul, I think that that's why he was able to then write the letter to the Philippians and say, look at what I'm learning, look at these things, because I prayed and God has met this incredible need in my life, and now, thanks to you, I have an abundance of what God is doing a picture not only of a leader, but of a people that are living on mission. Saying, God, we're not just here sitting, warming a chair. We're not just here in the, occupying a job that we have, but God, 
we live on mission and we are for the Salt Lake Valley. We live on mission and we are for my neighbor. We live, uh, we live in such a way as that we proclaim to those who don't know Jesus by the way that we live our lives, the things we think about, what we give to, what we invest in. This reveals Jesus Christ in so many ways. Then these last words that Paul says, uh, says in there, or almost the last words, he says, not that I seek the gift. So Paul is trying to tell the church, hey, I'm not seeking the gift personally, but there's a, another side to this giving that I think we miss. He says, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. So something happens when we give that often you can't put your finger on. Because, you know, for us, we, we often want to say, Lord, I'm giving to you because uh, I believe that there's a material blessing that's going to flow my way. I believe it's going to show up in a house, going to show up in a car, going to show up, you know, whatever that is. Sometimes people give that way, and I don't think that that's the purpose of giving. But something is happening when we do give. And Paul points out there's, there, there's an accounting that happens. God sees it. God welcomes that gift. This really cool principle as well that's in here. Paul, when he's talking about this prophet that's for them, the next words that he speaks are words of worship. This is what he says. He says, in fact, he says that this is a fragrant offering. This is an acceptable sacrifice. This is pleasing to God. Folks, our worship is enhanced by our generosity. There is something that happens when we are generous. Man, it opens up the heavens for us. It opens up not the gift, not the money. That's not the point. But when we are generous and we give of ourselves like Jesus did, something happens in our relationship with God. There's a freedom that arises, and our worship to him somehow becomes more generous itself. And God shows up in powerful new ways. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. Folks, we don't give to get. But I think according to what Paul said, something we can say is that we give to grow. <laughs> right? We give God so that we can grow. We give God because we want to, uh, to make a difference in this world so that the mission of who God is living through our lives shows up in the world around us. Now, if I was a smart pastor, what I would do is I would take up an offering right now. <laughs> right? Because we're, we're primed, we're ready to go, but that's not the point. The point is that the generosity that God wants us to have is more than our finances. The generosity that God wants us to have is the way that we live our lives among those who don't know Jesus Christ. And I believe that becomes a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. Now, God also does challenge us with our finances, and I think the Philippian church, we've got to be that kind of a church that is radically generous. We've got to be that kind of a church that shows up and says, God, we're going to give abundantly because, God, we know that the seed that is sown now will be for the lives that are going to be transformed maybe tomorrow, next week, next generation. We are sowing now to see what God can do in the future. And so, God, I thank you for this congregation. God, I'm so grateful for what you are doing in our lives, and, Lord, we rejoice God, in the lives that are being transformed in your kingdom. God, we rejoice that we have just a small part to do within that kingdom, but God, it is so incredibly important. And so God, just like the church at Philippi, God, we determine that God, we are going to look for ways to be generous with our lives. God, with our lives, that means our emotions, our relationships, God, it's gonna, we're going to be generous with the way that we give ourselves, and God, that also includes our finances. God, help us to look for ways to be generous. 
God, we're also going to give willingly, and God, we're going to give abundantly, God. And Lord, we thank you for your grace that's in our lives. Father, we commit ourselves as a congregation to your grace to extend it to the world around us, that, God, you would provide opportunities for us to show just how good you are. And, Lord, help us to imitate Jesus Christ in all we do. Lord, we love you this day. God, we give you all the glory and all the honor. We commit to you our finances. We commit to you our relationships. We commit to you, God, our places of work. We commit to you our families. And, God, live generously through us. Lord, we love you. We praise you this day. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being here today. We'll see you next week as we start talking about some missions.